Uh, four shuls, eerily and some say miraculously, um, didn't remain fully standing. Everything was damaged, but the southern wall, which which functions as the Mizrach, because it's the one that's facing Yushalayim, the southern wall of each of these shuls stayed intact. All of them? And, yeah, each of the four shuls. The four shuls were the Ashkenazi, Rizal, this one. Yeah. Um, further down the way, the Abuav. The uh, Rav Yosef Karo Shul and then the Sephardi Arizal Shul, which is down the hill right What's above the basic forest. There's there. another shul. It's the oldest, oldest still functioning shul in Eretz Yisrael. No, this uh, one doesn't function. Which one? This one's also functioning. It's not, it's not as old as the well, Sephardi. The Sephardi Arizal Shul is the oldest still functioning shul in Eretz Yisrael. There's a bunch of stairs. Well, yeah. Well, why is this separate from the Sephardi? The story is a Greek Jewish Greek man who had no children had a fortune. And decided to use half of his fortune to rebuild these shuls. He rebuilt, as you can see, this is from the the, the architecture is from the 1850s. He rebuilt these four shuls. Um, arguably, the most sumptuous in town is not one we have time for, but it's the Abuhav. It'll be closed right now anyway. Uh, but it's gorgeous. You want to get there if you can. Um, and uh, but all four of the shuls are, are unique and special in, in distinct ways. And he rebuilt them with half of his fortune, and those are the ones standing today. The other half of his fortune, he buried in a mountain around Svas somewhere. Lassid <laughs> Lavo, uh, for the future days when Mashiach comes, uh, that we'll have these treasures. So the fundraisers here with the shovels, right? Are, that's right, that's right. Well, yeah, now I don't everyone buy a shovel, we're coming here for a full day. I just told, I just told the story of the famous Greek, the, famous, the Greek Jewish millionaire. Who, um, who, who, who rebuilt the four shuls after the earthquake of 1837 and took half of his money and uh, invested in Sfas, the other half he buried in the mountain uh, and is waiting, uh, Lusty Lovo. I don't know the wisdom of that one only because, um, you know, in those days, uh, like, like in Shlomo's days, gold will be worth, uh, you know, like uh, street pebbles. So uh, it may not, may not be so important. But okay, it showed, it, showed, it showed that he had what you do have in Sfas, and you have this in every detail. And I, 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 it's, for me, it's kind of hard because what I really want to do is take you here for a whole week. Uh, and like here, like as a tease, only, only like show you like little bits and pieces for, um, for only two hours. But um, to realize this place is built with incredible love and detail and care. And uh, there's so much in all of these stones. They could, if they could tell stories, they would. Uh, this is the shul that every tour guide has told you about, the, uh, the davening in which, uh, during the War of Independence, oh, yeah. the, the fighting was fierce, uh, so much so that uh, they actually attacked the shuls. And at one point, during Modim and Nachdulak, when the entire, the entire uh, congregation was bending over and saying, Modim, a, uh, a, a, a rocket flew over their heads and actually lodged in the far wall. Um, is that true? Did it happen? There are, they have the legends of Sfas and the, the truths of Sfas. This, this firmly belongs in the, in, the, uh, in the first category, the legends of Sfas. It's a great story. It's very say fun. Truth. Let's go as check Rabbi, out the rocks. As Rabbi Wine, Rabbi Barrow Wine likes to say this, he says, all the stories that I tell are absolutely true. Some of them haven't happened just yet. Uh, so I, I, would, I, I thought it was a bullet. I it was a bullet. A bullet is lodged. There are a lot of yeah. versions of the story. In any case, in any case um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a story that's told here. And People of course, you see. What's that? People put cameras in the hole. They put cameras in the hole. So we'll take the woods. Yeah, 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 yeah. Robert, why is it like a Sephardi Sephardi here in the design of the. Most of the shuls, in the day, back in the day of the Gedolim of Sfas, they were not a unified community. Uh, there were Greek Jews, and there were Spanish Jews, and there were Turkish Jews, mostly Sephardim, some Ashkenazi. Uh, but that the Nusach, um, the Nusach, the, what's called the Sephardi, is supposed to aid or the Mizrach. Nusach is the predominant Nusach in many of the shuls. Uh, we passed some of the famous ones, Makarev, 
and the Mari Beirav, and... Um, the bimas in the shoes are beautiful. The bimas are quite beautiful, very much built Sephardi yeah, style, yeah, where you dive in around the bima, yeah. and uh, lot, lots to notice there. Anyway, what can I... What, um, why is the shul closed? It should be open for Mecca. No? Yeah, but most of these places are run for tourists. And you got somebody sitting there and making sure that everything happens. Okay, and now there's no tourism. So Tzfas is, uh, is languishing in lack, in lack of tourism. He's a lot of locals. Okay, let's, let's continue. All the locals here are like very... Oh, because this is the, the shul that Rav Yosef Karo himself lived in Davenin. Oh. And, um, right, what was right? Um, there is a Geniza there that has not been opened. It's got fi- it's 500 years old, and there are treasures in there. Right? Probably, probably, hand, probably handwritten manuscripts from the Rav Yosef Karo himself. Just the room you said, anyone that walks in is going to get killed or whatever? They're going to die? No. Oh, man. <laughs> so, this is where Rav Yosef Karo lived. Really? And that's pretty extraordinary. We don't really know where a lot of our, our Gedolim lived. In there, it's just a small hovel of a place. So nothing, nothing, it's, it's locked. It's almost always like the case has been open. Uh, yeah, um, We are... Rav Yosef Karo lived in Tzfas from the time he made Aliyah in, in 1535 until his, the end of his life in 15... It's okay with him talking in the background, right? Yeah, that's yeah, right. 1575. He's here for 40 years. Um, we know of his famous books. What are his most famous books, Rav Yosef Karo? What's the most famous of his books? The Shulchan Aruch is only famous because because of his previous book, the Beit Yosef is the biggest book. That's his manuscript. That's the Beit Yosef, his commentary on the tour. Beit Yosef is a commentary on the tour. He wrote a commentary on the Rambam's Mishnah Torah, like everybody else, called the Kesef Mishnah. Um, he wrote a book called the Magid Mesharim, which is a story, which is which is a, an accounting of his conversations that he had with the heavenly voice called the Magid. So the same author, you got that? You're a little spaced out. Focus for a sec. And I know I know it's distracting the background, so it's hard to focus. But um, the, the the same grounded machaber, the, the, the Bala Shulchan Aruch. Um, had conversations with the heavenly voice. It was the same voice that told, um, that, that rebuked his community that they that they didn't stay up all night in Shmuel's, and that's where the minhag grew. And the Magid spoke to him in this house. And right above the house is the, is the, is the shul that we just passed. Right? So this is where um, you know, some of the great works that are studied daily in Jewish uh, homes and shuls and Batei Medrash around the world was composed. It's a fun book. And it's not that, it, it, as, as, relative to other books in the Tanakh, there's not a lot of commentary. But Yalshak is big. On Sefer Daniel, he wrote, he wrote extensively, and this is his shul. Um, and uh, he was interesting. He was a Kabbalist, but his, his famous commentary on the mission on the Tanakh is almost devoid of any Kabbalah. He's interested in giving over straight shot. And what happened, not more than shot because he goes in depth, but, but giving over the, the simple understanding of the text. In 30 days. Book covers are usually. Who has not been in, well, some say even in this basic forest, and some say any basic forest in 30 days. Where are we? I don't think You can say this on your own or you can answer Amen to my bracha. You say a blessing and it's gorgeous and profound. Listen to the words I'll translate afterwards. If, if, if for the Hebrew impaired, I'll translate, but it's a great, great bracha. Um, anybody wants to say it with me and, and read along? Don't say the first line. It's, 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 it's right after Halvayas Hamas. You say the bracha on those who have not seen a cemetery for 30 days, recite the following blessing, and you can answer Amen. Amen.
סומך נופלים ורופאי חולים ומתיר אסורים ומקיימים בנסודי שני עפר מיכה מוכה בעל גבורוס ומדומה לך מלך ממיס ומחיה ומצמיח ישועה ונאמן עתה לאחיוס מסים Blessed are you who created all of you, all of your souls in justice. He sustained you in justice. He killed you in justice. He had you die in justice. It's all Hashem's planning. He knows all of your number in justice. And in the future, He's going to revive you from the dead in justice. You're the Mechaia Mesim Hashem. You, you revive the dead and you're, you're, you're mighty. And we say the, the, the second paragraph that we say in our Shmona Sreit. Um, my daughter was 11. She's now, she's now in her last month uh, uh, expecting uh, but uh, when she was 11, we came to the, the Holy Basic Faros in Bnei Brak, and she, she just was speaking and, and, and uh, extemporaneously, and she just she said, um, it's great to come here, because you realize that um, we're only on this side of the land for a short time, a, a short period of time until we're down on the other side. And that's why we took in our tzitzit, to remember this, uh, the, the, these, uh, these golden days that we're alive, that we can keep mitzvahs, and they can't. And we won't be able to, uh, you know, unless unless Mashiach comes first. And uh, so we have, we have, it's, a, it's a consciousness razor. Uh, let us go down and go to the mikvah. Yeah. Make sure whenever you're in a basic faros in a cemetery that you treat it with utmost respect. Uh, grave prohibition to, to treat to be with, with what's called kalus rosh in a frivolous way. Um, and uh, remember, uh, the, the Satmar Rebbe actually held that a common Jew shouldn't even enter a basic faros. It's so holy yeah. and we don't know how to be here. He, that he was that serious about it. That's not the accepted view, but be aware of, of such things. Um, we're standing then, this, this, where, where Jacob is, is the, is the tomb of, of the Rizal. And it's one of the places that... I don't know if he's asking, he's asking this word about the So the Rizal, it was here... Yeah. Um, the Rizal came for the last few years of his life. He died in Tzfas in 1572, three years before the Mahaber. And um, it's one of these exciting things. You can come there to Shell and say, this is his grave. Because for, for the last 500 years, people have been coming here and tracking it. So we're not in any doubt in this place. Um, and that's why all these holy Jews are buried around him. Um, the Rizal left very little in way of writing, but his student, Rav Chaim Vital, wrote most of it up. His student, Rav Chaim Vital, wrote most of it up. The most famous book is the Eitz Chaim. His will required that all the books be buried with him, Rav Chaim Vital, in, in Damascus. So how do we have any of the Rizal's teachings? If his one student buried all the books, and the answer is, 25 years later, two very reputable Kabbalists, um, received the message in their dreams that they could exhume the manuscripts, and they did. They, pulled, they, they dug up Chaim Vital's grave, and they, they took the manuscripts out. And that's the story, and, that's, and we have immense Torah. His influence is one of the greatest of all Jews. And that was okay. I can't tell you. I, he did it. They did it. How does he know which one's which? So, because people remember, when you go to the results, you know, like, you go to such holy graves, you know, the, even though there's been terrible destruction, but there's this clear continuity. People have been coming here consistently. Um, the Mabit is one of the great, uh, halo- ha- I mean, in addition to, to Kabbalists and being one of, one of the Gedolim here, he was also one of the great halachic um, minds. There's actually a very famous, coming up on the Shemitah year, we're, we're, we're a few months shy of the Shemitah year, the Mabit and the Machaber have one of the world-famous arguments about the Shemitah year. Uh, something, something to keep track of, Rav Yosef to try, uh, of, 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 uh, I mean, this is the Rav Yosef joining, that's the son, the Mabit is, is the father. The Mabit is right, is, uh, is uh, where's the Mabit? Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, wrong. This is the Mabit. This is the Mabit. And his father was Rav Yosef, and his son was Rav Yosef, too. 
the Ramak, Rav Moshe Kordobero, was probably the most preeminent Kabbalist before Rav Yosef, before the Arizal Ritzvat. He wrote Pardes Rimonim, uh, Tobar Devora. Um, his, interestingly, his Kabbalah is still very dominant, even though you don't hear about him as much as the Arizal. Um, the, the legend has it when the Arizal came to Tzfas, the Ramak, at a relatively young age, in his 50s, um, passed away. And um, he, uh, the Arizal said, what's that pillar of, of, of smoke above the Ramak's grave? And nobody else saw it. And they understood that that meant that he was receiving the tradition, that he was going to be the next in line after the Ramak to, to, to give over Kabbalah. Kabbalistic secrets. His brother-in-law, the Ramak's brother-in-law, who he made Kabbalah Shabbos at the top of the mountain with, was Rosh Shlomo Alkabetz, that you probably know most famously as the author of the Lechadodi, but he was also Chavrusu with Rav Yosef Karo, also an uh, uh, author. He, was, he wrote a commentary on the Chumash, on the Tanakh, uh, and, and uh, another, another halachic uh, genius. Um, the, uh, I, just, I mean, it's overwhelming here. I'm just trying to give you a sense of um, the godless of the place. On the side, you have the tomb here of Rav Lazar Eskari, who's the author of the Sefer Charedim, and a little, a little poem that they call Yidid Nefesh, Avarachaman. So um, the, the composer is right here. That's, that's Rav Lazar Eskari. Um, the Arizal son, Moshe, is, is buried here. Now, what, what, do you, what do you go to a grave of a tzaddik for? Like, what, what are we supposed to do here? So we say, we say Kapitel Tehillim, um, we connected to the tzaddikim. The big, the big Kabbalists understood that they, the, the, the Arizal actually identified graves uh, all over this countryside. He identified graves of tzaddikim from thousands of years earlier. And um, he knew something. They had a formula. In fact, the Ramak wrote a book called Sefer Gerushin, how to be misgarish, how to go out and be in, in, in these graves and connect with the souls of the dead. They, they did that. The Rizal could identify graves because the dead people told them where they're buried. Um, you and I can't do that. Um, but what we can do is somehow absorb some of the godless, some of the, some of the greatness of the people, uh, get, a se- get a sense of um, who, they, who they were, what their legacy is. Um, I'm not, we have no time. We're, we're diving in like three minutes. But just down over here is the Al-Sheikh. There are four, uh, uh, four figures in the last 500 years who are called Hakadosh, the Arizal Hakadosh, the Alshech Hakadosh, the Shla Hakadosh, whose grave is in Tiberia, where we just were, and finally the Orachaim Hakadosh, which is in uh, Harazesim. Some of us visited there earlier this year. So um, below the Alshech is the Mari Beirav. Um, I mentioned on the bus, and one of the stories that's fast, that's a critical story, is the attempt to revive Smicha. In the 1530s, it's a terribly dark period for the Jews. It was coming on the heels of the Spanish Inquisition and final expulsion. And Spanish Jewry, there was never, there was never a time that so many Jews converted to, to, to another religion, in this case Catholicism, uh, was devastated. And many people were chayev, uh, terrible things. A lot of them were chayev karis, which means the soul dies. And this, this great Rav, who was the Rebbe of most of these Rabbanim, the Mari Beirav, you haven't heard of him because he hasn't written so many books. He wrote a great commentary on Kiddushin. But the Mari Beirav had an idea based on the end of the Gemara in Makos. Remember Makos? The end of the Gemara in Makos. Yeah, we learned from this. a fascinating idea in Makos. Makos Deiraisa. If you give Malchus Deiraisa, the Gemara there says, um, that's one way you can get around Kares, by getting these lashes. Now, the lashes are pretty intense, but if you get those... And, and, you know, you survive, and then you, you, you start life all over again, and you undo the kares. The thing is, you could only get Malkus Deiraisa, where it really counts, if you get it from a certified basting of smuchin, of people with smicha. Well, we had smicha from Moshe Rabbeinu down to the end of the Talmud, but then smicha was stopped. It's not really the end of the Talmud. Uh, Marbar Rashi is the last musmach. And, um, and then we don't have smicha anymore. 
so the Mari Berav wanted to, re, re, to, to restart smicha, and it was a fantastic story. It was a fantastic story where um, where you don't. Uh, it was a fantastic story where um, they actually almost got away with it. He gathered twenty five rabbis. They gathered 24, 25 rabbis, and they, he got smicha and then gave it to Rav Yosef Karo and, and a few of, and 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 the Ramak. In the end, the, the smicha blew up because. Um, the, the big, the big Rav in Yerushalayim said it's no good, it's null and void. The Rambam didn't mean it this way, and it became an international controversy, and the whole thing blew over, and there was no smicha, and there were no malchus Isa. Um, but you see, these great people are trying. You know, he thought that by giving smicha, we're going to reconnect with the times of old, where we can recreate. If you have smicha, you can recreate a Sanhedrin. With the Sanhedrin, you have a nasi, and you can actually have Jewish life. In authority, and you know, doing keeping Torah and keeping doing mitzvahs in the proper way, which we're not doing nowadays in Eretz Hakodesh. So this attempt to revive smicha would be started several more times, including in 2004, a self-appointed group started in Tiveri and they started their own what's called Sanhedrin. Um, it, it turns into something. It was a, it was it was a bit of a self-parody because um, nobody acknowledged it as anything legitimate. But you see another attempt, and you know, even in contemporary times, to try to rekindle the old spirit. We have a Sanhedrin. We're learning Sanhedrin this year. We're like we we, we restart and rebuild the base of Mikdash through all of these uh, institutions. All of these kedoshim, and these are indeed kedoshim. These are holy, holy, great Jews, tzaddikim, all of them. Uh, right? We're we're part of the revival of Eretz Israel that we're all a continuation of. Uh, let's continue. Let's 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 see one more. And if you haven't, you probably do know, and you'll say, oh yeah, okay, I realize. He's the author of, um, his manuscript, his masterpiece was a book called the Beit Yosef, but that paved the way for his more famous book called the Shulchan Aruch. Oh, okay, I've heard of that. I thought so. I thought so. <laughs> um, that is the big, big book of Jewish law, right, um, without so which we're not Jews. Wow, that's pretty intense. Which one's his? Um, this is Kevin. Where's the Alshin? The Al is just up there, right, right there, right with the sign up there. The Al is there, and right below it is the Mari Beirav. Who is the Rebbe of the of Rav Yosef Karo? And the Mabit. And the Mabit. So that, yeah. Right, and the Mabit. Um, Rav Yosef Karo was born in 1488. Was four years old, therefore, when his family, like the other Jews, were kicked out of Spain. And like all the Jews in those days, was a refugee who. Uh, Moved like he moved all around the Mediterranean basin. Wound up in Salonika. What was it? Was in Turkey. That's when the story that we told. Some of us went to Rav Yosef Karo's house a few minutes ago. Um, that's he spoke to a heavenly angel, the Magid, Misharim. Told him all kinds of things, including um, he and his he and his chavrus of Shlomo Alkabitz wrote Luchadodi. Um, stayed up all night for Lel Shvus, and then uh, the angel, came, the uh, heavenly voice, came to him and told him. It's great you guys did this, but what about the rest of your community? What were they sleeping for? Is during? a real basketball? Yeah, uh, something, no, I don't know. Something like that. It's a magid. And, um, and uh, they brought that rebuke to their community. They said, yeah, we, you were told that, um, you, what were you doing, shluffing, sleeping during Matan Torah? And everybody was, uh, you know, humbled and awed, and they all stayed up the second night of Yantiv, and that's where the minhag started, of staying up all night in Shavuos. Did it two nights here? In Turkey. This was in Turkey. Not before he moved, before he moved to Eretz Yisrael. Uh, Later they moved to Eretz Yisrael, but the minag of staying up all night transferred here and took off really in Sfas. Together with, I mean, I don't know if you realize to the degree that we're Jewish and a lot of what we do comes through this, these holy Jews at Sfas. Uh, if you heard what I said, Kabbalah Shabbos, Ushpizin, uh, um, the Hoshanas, the, uh, so many different practices that we have. Um, 
they come, they come to us to these gedolim. Um, Rav Yosef Karo would move to Eretz Yisrael because the Magid, Magid told him it was time he could. And he became part of the smicha process. He got smicha. That's why he's one of the few people who can legitimately call the Maran Habet Yosef. Maran stands for? Mea Rabbanim Nismach. A hundred rabbis gave smicha. That's, by the way, that's how the Rambam, very mystifyingly, says, yeah, there could be a way of restarting smicha if a hundred of the greatest rabbis in Eretz Yisrael, because uh, you're only, you're only counting if you're in Eretz Yisrael, nobody else counts. Um, only the 180, 180 rabbis in Eretz Yisrael, 100 rabbis in Eretz Yisrael confer smicha on you. The Rambam leaves it ambiguous. He leaves it with a tzadi ayin, which means sarich iyon. He's not quite sure how this would work, but the, Mar- the Mari Berav, his Rebbe, started it and gave it to Rav Yosef Karo. The reason why we know it never took off is there was a huge controversy. It died out basically when the Mari Berav died. And the Rav Yosef Karo himself never uses the term about himself, never once refers to his having smicha. So clearly he didn't regard it as anything. But he's referred to still out of respect, Marana Beit Yosef. Um, when you hear the term used today, it's used at, out of kavod, out of honor, but it's technically incorrect. Maran Ravavad Yosef, for example. It's nice, and he certainly was huge, but he didn't have Meir Rabbanim Nisma. He was not, you know, smicha in this way. Uh, Marana Beit Yosef, though, um, really he established a halacha in Eretz Yisrael. And, um, you know, his organization of the Shulchan Aruch is today was such a masterpiece. He published it. And it spread around the world. So, listen to this. So much so, these are days, these are dark days of the 16th century. Uh, Jews are languishing around the world. The Spanish Inquis- the Inquisition and the expulsion, it was dark times. I mean, the Jews of, it, uh, of, of, of Germany and France, they were used to persecution. But Spain, it was comfortable. Jews were okay. And now, this, you know, it's like the comfortable community in the world is now, is now being kicked out of their whole co- their country. Uh, people felt like, ugh. Oh, and, and the Jews were at a very, very low level. They didn't know, know exactly how to keep halacha. So that's why there was such an urgency. Let's spell out, this is what you do. Let's write a how-to manual, how to be Jewish. Anybody who heard what, we, what I talked about on Lil Shavuos, you're not a Jew if you don't keep mitzvahs. Right? That's what makes, that's what defines us. We keep mitzvahs. So he, he, we, we keep mitzvahs today, B'schus Rav Yosef Karo. And it was such a masterpiece that when it published, it went around the world, and um, somebody else had just written a parallel book. His name was Moshe Isseliz. He was sitting in Krakow, another early uh, genius. And he read the Yosulchan Aruch. He said, I'm not going to publish my book. When the world has a Shulchan Aruch, they don't need my book. But instead of putting it in the Gneza, like I said, on the top of the hill, he didn't just do that. He instead took out the Shulchan Aruch and wrote an addendum to it. Well, the Shulchan Aruch is the set table. The Ramah wrote Hamapa, the tablecloth. Very modestly tied. I'm just a tablecloth. right? And he wrote, it was the Ashkenazi addendum. And you have to realize the magnificence of this book. Now that you have the great traditions of Sephardim and Ashkenazim combined, kind of like Derech, right? In other words, you have the best of both worlds combined. Now you have really like a Master Sanhedrin, an authoritative book for everybody. And it took off and it became, till today, the, def- the definitive book. You don't know halacha, you look it up in the Shulchan Aruch. Um, he left a great legacy, left, left a life. He left, they say, they, they darshan his life 87 years. Kisro Kesser Paz. His crown was a crown of gold. Paz in Gematria is 87. But apparently not quite perfect enough. And this story I have from Rabdavid Gottlieb as well. It's a wild story. It takes place 200 years later. Uh, the second generation leader of, of, of Hasidim was the Magid of Mezheritz, the student of the uh, Baal Shem Tov. And uh, the Magid was, because he was a leader of Hasidus, was invited widely to be the Masada Kedushin at weddings, to be the Sandak at, 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 at a bris, to be everything. Everybody wanted him. Of course, he had to say no most of the time, because one person can't be in a thousand places. 
unexpectedly, he got an invitation to be a sandak from a young couple, nondescript couple who he'd never heard of before, in a very distant village. Could you come be sandak at her son's bris? And to everybody's shock, he accepted. And of course, all the Hasidim looked at each other and said, what's up with that? Uh, they probably said their own language, but you know, the, the equivalent of what's up with that. And, um, and they, they accompanied the Magid to go to this bris. They go to this bris, and he's the sandak, and big um, simcha, and... Uh, no, you missed, a, you missed a beat, you space out, you missed a little story. We've passed 200 years already. I mean, the Magid of Mezrits, the second generation leader of, of, of Hasidim in the 1700s, he goes across town, now he's the sandak in a bris. They're sitting at the Suda, and suddenly there's a terrible outcry in the, in the, in the inner room. And the story comes out, the Racha Nimo, the, the, the baby, who just had the bris done, perished. Immediately, he just died. And it was, un, it was unexplained how he did crib death. They don't know. They don't, they don't, they don't know. It said he died, and it's a terrible tragedy, and there's a huge commotion. And the Magid, after the commotion died down a little bit, requested a private session with the parents, with the newly bereaved parents. And called in the room, and he said, uh, don't ask me to explain what I'm about to tell you, but let me tell you something. Hashem creates different neshamas. Everybody's in this world for a certain tikkun, and sometimes multiple tikkunim. That's what Kabbalists talk about. We have to fix certain things. That's what you're doing. That's what you're figuring out right now. What, is your, what are your particular tikkunim that you need to fix in this life? Only you can fix them. Hashem gave you the face that you have and the talents that you have and your brain and your parents and all the details of your life to fix certain things while you're in this world. And only you can do that. And... Uh, sometimes the idea of Gilgul Neshamos, reincarnation, which is uh, something that's widely, dis- deeply discussed in the Kabbalistic literature. Um, Gilgul Neshamos is sometimes a person doesn't do it right the first time, so he's given a second chance, a third chance to come back and, and fix what he needs to fix. It's imperative that we figure this out, and the only way you know how to figure it out is through Torah. If you don't learn Torah, you have no way to understand what your life mission is and what those things you need to fix are. He said, so there was a Neshama that came to the world was that it fixed so much, had achieved such a high level, it had almost reached, and these are ideas that are beyond this to really understand, but I'll just use the term anyway, there's seven levels of heaven. This neshama had almost penetrated the seventh level. It was such a golden neshama. The problem was, the thing that was keeping it out of the, the big, the, the highest place was something that was not even its fault, but okay, you know, yeah, there's perfection, there's perfection. This neshama came into the world, and he was not Nimo Lashmona. Nimo Lashmona, he didn't have his bris on the eighth day. Again, that's not a fault of anybody, but it happens sometimes. Some child sometimes jaundice. That's really common. The baby's a little yellow. You have to wait, delay the day of the bris. But it's an ever so slight imperfection on, on, on the neshama. And for this particular neshama, chaval, it was a shame he never had this. He said, so some neshamas have to come back in the world. They have to be reborn to achieve their tikkun. And when they achieve their tikkun, they're ready to go back to their maker. And all's good. It's all good. What does it mean that happened like 200 years later, though? Like Couldn't tell you. Until... Couldn't tell you exactly. I have no idea. Again, even the Magid was not so forthcoming about the details. He said, you should feel Nechama, that's what we do, or Menachem, Avelim, we comfort the, the bereaved. Understand that there's a bigger picture. Kaddish Baruch Hu has a grand plan, and everybody's here for a purpose, and some people are only here for eight days, but the eight days completed this package, and he said, with this, with this, Rav Yosef Karo was able to penetrate the seventh heaven. Right, so um, these are great neshamas. You take a bit of this in, into your own neshama now. Be inspired by them. That, for me, is the greatest part of coming to the Kibbutz Tzedikim. I feel close to them. I feel like, they, uh, like part of the family, right? And every time when the name comes up again, Yaakov, where are you? Yaakov Mahoney, where are you? Right in front of me. Oh, just, just uh, okay. Oh, right there. Okay, fine. No, because we were just talking, and, and we made the connection of who Rav Yosef Karo is. He's oh wow, right? And that's the correct connection. From now on, 
you'll 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 visit. It's like you you'll feel like um, how do I put this in your own, in terms of we would under he's our bro, right? In other words, like he's 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 part of the family, and he halavai halavai. He's he's our father. He's our tati. He's our he's our he's our zaidi, right? He's our altar zaidi, and um, and we're all part of this glorious family that include includes such people as them and as you. Let's go, Davin Mincha. Walking in, hike in a riverbed, and then they have a beautiful building, very classy. Nobody goes there. And it's Gishmak. Uh, he teaches us, Mia Isha, what is the Samachayim? Right, the Gemara, the Gemara that, uh, right? Mia Isha, what is the And Rav Chaim Vital brings that he came with the Arizal here. The Arizal was, was Mizgarish to, to, to Rabbi Yanai, he identified the Gemara. And Rabbi Yana, I told him, the student who is accompanying you, he should be particularly makbid on Shmir Salashim. You get that message from Rabbi Yana, he's like, look, the sources of Shmir Salashim, it makes you kind of humble. He writes that down. So we're in a very holy place. And, you know, we're, it's almost like overwhelming, right? That we go to so many Yidoleolim. This one is particular. This, this is not really like anybody else. It's the cover of Chonia Magel. Right there. Oh. Chonia Magel, who, if, I'll tell you. Uh, I'll tell you in a moment. Well, but um, the reason why Avi, Avi just had that reaction, and Isaac certainly did, was that he's all over the Marantines. And I'll tell you a little, little bit about that. Uh, it's one of the few foreign that we can possibly identify that was, that was identified itself by the Urizal. So that's big. You know, Urizal said it, then that's, that's, that's huge. Um, and it fits the description of Rav Vital, so like, oh. Now who was Rav Chaim, who was, who, who was Choni? Choni was one of the early, early, early Tanoim, meaning almost pre-Mishnah period, in the second temple period, late second temple period, when they didn't need titles. You ever notice that? Like some of the great ones, Shimon uh, Tzadik, our host, no titles, not Rebbe Shimon, Hillel, Shammai, they don't have titles. Their names went before them. They were they were too great for titles. Titles only. So who who was the first Tana with the title? Rabbi Gamliel, and it was in time that the Torah was declining and the spiritual level of people was declining. They they needed titles to bolster the image of Rabbani. But the days of Choni, Choni was what mattered. Shmuel Akatan, little Sam. Shmuel Akatan. That was the greatest son you can give him was humility. And Choni was certainly certainly of that dimension. Choni. Was Poshiyid uh, of enormous stature, who uh, was sought after so much that uh, he he was uh, asked to daven for Klal Yisrael, and his tefillahs had a knack for coming true. And the story goes, in times of great drought, great uh, great uh, you know, lack of water, which is devastating, you know, people die under those circumstances. They built the Choni. You know the story, right? So he did something extraordinary. He's one of the individuals with Hannah and Eliyahu and Moshe who spoke with what seems like tremendous chutzpah to Hashem and got away with it. He said, tell you what I'm going to do, Hashem. See, I'm, I've actually have noticed, uh, and this is a new thing that they did, but there's actually a circle. It's Ma'agel. That's the circle. Anybody knows the Lashem from the second record of Makos? We recognize the Ma'agil, the Ma'agil right? From the, from oh, yeah. the, uh, the motion. Yeah. <coughs> so I'm basically remember this. He drew a circle, and he stood in the middle, and he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand in the circle, and, you know, look, you could bring the rain at your own time, whenever you want, but I'm not leaving the circle until, until you bring rain. 
Now, if you and I were to do such a thing, you know, it would be the height of chutzpah. And uh, not, to, not to mention potential, there's something even worse. But Choni Magel did it, and it kind of sparked well. Do you remember how it goes at first? He, he doesn't make it rain. He brings torrents. I'm uh, uh, it's, it's an explosion of rain to the point that Choni uh, said, no, I didn't want it that way, Hashem. You know, and so Hashem said, okay. So he says a little trickle. And Choni said, nah, not like that. I want rain. Gishme brocha. The Gemara is just talking about a blessing kind of what rain. If it hadn't that period or it, then it able to build the set, rebuild the second base of Mikdash, renovate it. So Hashem sent down sweet rain. Right, Gishme brocha, the kind of rain that you want. Tuesday nights, Shabbos nights, that's the ideal kind of rain. Um, the the Gadolador in that generation was Shiva ben Sheta, also no titles. And he said to him, he said, you know, if you were not Tony, uh, you know, you'd be in Kherim right now. You'd be, you'd be excommunicating you, but you're phony, so, you know, what you do, and the reason why is because it was so pure and good. There was no question, he wasn't speaking to Hashem with Chutzpah, he was speaking for Am Yisrael, and he was trying to what speak best for them. In the beginning. Chonim approached a man who was planted a tree. The tree is actually a carob tree. How many times in the Bible do we read about the carob tree, the holy carob tree you see all over Israel today? How many times in the Bible? Zero. Zero. is not indigenous there to Israel. And only, we only hear about it from around the What else is another famous carob tree that some of us just heard about? subsisted on it for 13 years. Right? So that's a carob tree. So he saw him in putting a carob tree. And one of the things that's very striking about the carob tree, of course, is that it doesn't yield fruit for 70 years. And he sees a man planting in the man's, not a young man, he's planting a tree, carob tree. And he says, he realized, you will not quite literally bear the fruits of your labor, you're not going to be seeing the care that's been grown from the tree. And the man looked at Choni, and this is the quality of the generation, the man looked at Choni and he said, well, that's okay. See, my grandfather, he planted trees for me. So I'm planting trees for my grandkids. Shut you now, right? I was living in the future. Not just about ourselves, we're not about everybody. Choni is taken by this. He sits down and has some lunch, sits by the tree. And it's bothered by a different problem that people always think they learn in Torah. It's because the Muslim Shira Malach, Shuba Shev, Shiva Tzion, Ayin Tuchomim. Shem is so elevated. We were like dreamers. He's thinking about the 70 years of Gavis Bogo. And what was to be a dreamer for 70 years? What are they dreaming about in Bogo? And he's perturbed about that. And that's what he's thinking in Hebrew Torah. Like, Pik Tamil Tuchomim, that actually sends him to sleep. That's when he should go to sleep. He should wake up in the morning with a kashim tomorrow. Right? So he goes to sleep reading this. They have to be really careful if your name is Honey Magel and you think out loud. I wonder what it would be like to dream for 70 years because uh, um, the tefillah of a, of a tzaddik has a tendency to come true, uh, even, if, even if it's not exactly propitious. So uh, what happens is, of course, is he falls asleep for 70 years. And you, you have Rip Van Winkle your heart out. Right? This is the original story. And he goes to sleep and he wakes up. And uh, you know something's a little different, you know, because there's some like overgrowth over him, and you know, he's looking a little bit older, but he's okay. Seventy years later, he wakes up, and um, he goes over, he sees a man that looks awfully familiar, and he says, hey, I, you're that man who planted this tree, aren't you? And the man said, no, I didn't plant this tree, my grandfather did. And he looks up, and he sees this gorgeous, big old juicy carob, uh, carob sheep's coming down from the tree, and Pony realizes something's going on. He goes home and nobody recognizes him. He says, it's me, it's Choni. And of course, they've long given up on finding Choni and nobody believes him. 
and uh, he goes around and he tries to find he tries to find somebody to learn with him, and nobody will learn with him. Don't believe him. He thinks an old crazy man. He says in, he says famous words. He says, "If I can't find something to learn, O chavrusa, O misusa, give me liberty, give me no, but that's in person. Give me a chavrusa, give me death. O chavrusa, O misusa, if I can't learn Torah, that's my life blood." <laughs> And be careful before the Magel, because Ganesh Baruch makes your tefillah come true, and he dies. So Choni, and these are just some of the stories. There are many, many more. You'll learn more about him. Choni is one of the great in one of these early tonight uh, of this period that's in transition. It's second level period. The last time we had the Shlita properly sure and you shine your Kodesh. And Choni's um, here. is one of the popular Hebrew tzaddikim in the days of the Arizal, and it remains remains to see tonight one of the places that people come to and they reconnect with the tzaddikim. You had a question? No, Rabbi, I just want to say one thing. That yeah, yeah. Avim basically asked me on my my WhatsApp. I put my chavruta on my mazuta, right? Okay, well, since eleventh grade. So he asked me, why do you put that there? I told the story today, about Rishon. Today, today I asked him. Hey, Rabbi Yochanan, and you just brought up all the chavruta that we do. He just told me. So I told him about the story. So now I have to say something else. Because you know Kaddish Baruch runs the world. And it's all a scuff and there are no coincidences. You all heard what our motion just said. He was just talking, just today they were talking about this line, Ocha Russo Misusa. Well, I said to Rabbi Pitta earlier today, I said, wouldn't it be amazing if we could have a mincha by Rabbi Huda Barilai? And he said, nah, it's not going to happen. We're busy, we're running, we got to get anyone to tell him at Machanai in a totally different place. We had no idea. We had we miscommunications, we had no idea that actually the whole paintballing, jeeping thing was going to be by Rabbi Bari Lai, we were looking to Davin Mark. So, you, you want something holy? Kaddish Baruch has a way of making up true Gemara Mako says it has, it has Gemara Mako said. The way you want to go, you want to go. You're good for bad things, Chas V'Shalom. Kaddish Baruch will conduct you there. You want to go for good things, Kaddish Baruch will conduct you there. These are the Dikim that we're going to remember. When you go to Daven by their camp, you should Daven start, don't Daven to the side, Daven to only to Gadsh Baruch Hu. When you Daven, you, you connect with them. You should take a piece of the Neshama, you should use it to inspire you. You don't have to become the Tzadik, you have to become yourself. But you should use their life and their, their Sitkus as a mechanism to which you get closer to Gadsh Baruch Hu. Eventually, we have, we have